It is time for midday. It's 1130 on this Wednesday, May 19th. Tyler Cavalli along with you. Thanks for choosing the Rural Voice in Nebraska to be a part of your day. A lot of great content coming up here this morning and this afternoon. We'll hear from Jason Jorgensen once again in sports. He'll preview the state championship game for Lexington coming up here in the next hour. We'll also visit with uh, Bob Brogan as he'll tell us how stocks are performing on this Wednesday. And Paul Perkins will step in in about 15 minutes to tell us how much rain we could see today yet again. But also, warmer weather is on the way. But let's head out east to our own Susan Littlefield, who is in our studios in Lincoln. And Susan, it seems like uh, things are warming up nicely out there. It's 70 degrees. It is, but we just had a huge downpour that just went through. So, you know, got to work with the rain. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. Definitely take it. Uh, Any uh, thunder or lightning or anything? No. I mean, come on. Let's have a little bit of fun with these showers. (laughs) long as it's not severe, right? We'll, we'll yeah, exactly. That. All right, very good. Well, what do you have coming up for us today for midday? Well, kicking it off here at 1219, we'll hear from Clay Patton as he talks with the Northwest Kansas... I, and I have hiccups, too, so I apologize. Hiccup you. Northwest Kansas K-State Extension Agronomist highlighting how the winter wheat crop in Northwest Kansas has come back from the brink several times. Then... Continue with our renewable fuels at 12:45. As Alex, we'll talk with Greg Anderson. He is from the Newman Grove area. We, in the as broadcasters, call him Mr. Biodiesel. If that tells you anything mm. about the knowledge he has about the biodiesel industry, and then I'll wrap up everything at 1:17 as we hear from Kansas State University and specifically their Farm Manage- Management Association as we talk about investment opportunities and farm income in 2020. Okay, very good. Also, I've heard if you drink water upside down, that helps cure your hiccups. I don't know if that's that, true or not. That's how I got the hiccups. I took a drink of water too fast. Okay, well, try upside down if you can. I don't know. Yeah, there we go. All right, very good. Good luck with that. We'll talk to you later. Thanks. All right, let's turn things over to Jason, who is in Omaha. Hey, thanks. Well, it's a busy day for sports. Of course, the state high school soccer tournament wraps up tonight in Omaha. Lexington will play for the state title against Scott. Of course, we will bring you that matchup tonight on Cami Country's. Pre-game will start shortly after 8. Also, the state high school track and field championships underway this morning. Kind of a rainy start here in Omaha with classes a and D. Also, in news of the NSAA, girls wrestling received sanctioning by the NSAA School Activities Association this week. That means at next year's state meet here in Omaha, there will be one class for the girls division. That will be held at the same time as the four classes of boys competition. So that's certainly big news, and that's uh, good news for wrestling fans. And big news for Nebraska volleyball, as senior Lexi Sun has announced she will return to the Huskers for one more season. So those stories and much more coming up in sports. All right, thank you very much, Jason. That is big news for Husker Volleyball. Let's quickly turn things over to uh, Bob Brogan. How are stocks? Well, they're broadly lower as the market's downturn enters a third day. The S&P 500 was down 1.2%. The Dow Jones Industrials down 1.1%. The NASDAQ was down 1.3%. And uh, meanwhile, the price of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies dropped sharply mm. and uh amazon is making some news today about something they're doing okay all that and more coming up on midday it is time for regional ag weather update and it's brought to you by holdridge irrigation your ranky dealer 
Paul Perkins is joining us here in the studio. And, well, besides the rain that we're seeing in eastern Nebraska, we're also seeing some uh, relatively nice temperatures overall. Yeah, very comfortable out there. Uh, temperatures, for the most part, especially from about North Platte to York in the mid to upper 60s. In central areas, uh, north and south from North Platte to York, those temperatures in the mid to upper 60s. Starting to see a little more sunshine on over southwestern areas of Nebraska mm-hmm. into western Kansas. And some locations already warming into the low 70s, including 70 at Atwood and Oberlin, 70 in the Ogallala area. Also, some warmer temperatures into eastern Nebraska up to 72 in Omaha. 71 in Lincoln. I feel like, at least here in south-central Nebraska, we've seen the sun maybe once in the last <laughs> week or so. Yeah, it hasn't been very often. Just some uh, peekaboo sunshine at best over the next few days, but a little more sunshine in the forecast for tomorrow, which should help to warm things up, get the mm-hmm. crops going, and mm-hmm. maybe help out uh, to dry those fields off for people to do on a still finish up some planting. Yeah, when it east this past weekend and could already see some corn popping up. I mean, things are coming up. It's going well. Definitely greening up, and of course, even and the grass is uh, really taking off with these rains that we've been getting. That is that is a fact. <laughs> Trying to keep up with mowing uh, already. So, but what we're seeing today is another chance of storms. Yeah, another system lifting out of New Mexico. Kind of one last piece of moisture moving through the region, giving us some scattered showers and thunderstorms. Still, some of that light rain from earlier this morning scattered about eastern Nebraska, from about Columbus down to Lincoln to Marysville in northeast Kansas. That rain continuing to break up and move off towards east and northeast. And once again, most of us in mostly cloudy skies, but fair amount of sunshine as you head towards the west and southwest part of Nebraska on into northeast Colorado. Mostly cloudy skies continuing. Also, you may notice it's a bit on the humid side. Those two points currently in the low 60s, so we are starting to see some of that summertime humidity. The humid conditions will continue today with the temperatures slightly warmer than average. Scattered rain and thunderstorms remain possible through tonight with weak low pressure that's lifting out of New Mexico. Not going to be a big event. Severe weather definitely not likely, and any rain amounts on the light side. Sunshine finally back for tomorrow. We'll see some sunny to partly cloudy skies. Temperatures even warmer, 5 degrees warmer than normal for tomorrow. South winds gusty, though, as high as 35 to 40 as our area sits between some low pressure to the west and high pressure to the east. Highs warming into the 80s over the weekend and early next week. A southerly flow off approaching low pressure will keep it windy and on the humid side. Scattered thunderstorm chances do return for the weekend into early next week. Looks like we will be mainly dry for most of the day tomorrow on into Friday night. As that area of low pressure lifts north across the plains, late Monday into Tuesday, thunderstorm chances increase along with the chances for a severe weather risk. Most of the rain amounts expected to be on the light side since that system not going to tap into a whole lot of gulf moisture. There is a slight change in our long-term forecast. Warmer than normal Warmer than normal temperatures do remain likely the early half of next week for Nebraska and Kansas. Seasonal temperatures now forecast in the outlook for late next week through the first day of June. Nebraska and Kansas rainfall from Monday through the first of June, near normal to slightly above normal. Thanks to some mild nights, the soil temperatures at 7 this morning and 4 inches down continue to be in the upper 50s to the low 60s. The soil temperatures in the low 60s centered over central and east areas of Nebraska and Kansas. Key weather factors affecting the markets include... Continued beneficial rain chances in crop areas of the northern plains and a chance for needed rain in parts of Brazil's corn areas. Ongoing heavy rain across the south-central U.S., maintaining the threat of significant flooding, especially in the western half of the Gulf Coast. 
Occasional thunderstorms will deliver much-needed rain across the drought-affected northern plains. Five-day totals could reach one to three inches from the northern plains to the upper Great Lakes. Some of that precipitation may actually actually fall as some snow across the northern Rockies and the nearby plains, but not expecting any major with that. In the last week, the topsoil moisture rated at least 40%, very short to short from the Dakotas on over to Michigan. From the southern plains, periods of widespread rain continuing through Sunday with isolated showers next week. All developing crops benefiting from the weather uh, with the increased soil moisture, but the wetter and cooler weather is increasing the threat of disease in winter wheat. Brazil's southern winter corn areas expect moderate to locally heavy rain the next seven days. Updated forecast indicates some rain moving into northern corn areas, including Mato Grosso. Benefits to the Brazil's drought-stressed winter corn, though, will be marginal due to damaging heat and dryness this season. So we won't have to really worry about severe weather, likely tonight or today. Yeah, going to be very quiet, uh, just kind of a weak system moving through, keeping it slightly unsettled. Hmm. Maybe by the weekend, with those temperatures warming up, we may see some thunderstorms right in from the west. And then as that low moves through by Monday into Tuesday, that severe threat increasing for central and east areas. Just in time for the weekend, that severe <laughs> weather, of I course. All right, for a full weather forecast, where can somebody find that? Weather page, krvn.com. All right, thank you, Paul. Clay Patton on the winter wheat tour as we uh, make our rounds in Colby. We talk now to K-State, Northwest Kansas Extension agronomist Jeannie Folk-Jones. You may know her very well from social media because she is constantly updating us on what is going on with the winter wheat crop here in Northwest Kansas. Jeannie, I think that's the best place for us to start. Just kind of give us an overview. What is the winter wheat crop looking like right now in your area? Honestly, there's a lot of variability in the field, which seems to be always the theme, but at this time of the year it really feels that way. You know, going back to drilling conditions, we had very um, dry conditions in some places and so we had wheat that kind of came up almost in stages when we would get a little shot of moisture we'd get some more wheat up and so we have some fields that look really good and we have other fields that are kind of uneven and have uneven emergence but everything's kind of coming together a little bit on its growth stages right now and we're in many cases right at the boot stage in this area maybe a little bit getting ready to head a little bit that's a little behind that too kind of exciting that the wheat looks as good as it does because we haven't had a whole lot of help from other nature to keep it in good conditions. We've had snow and cold conditions, very cold temperatures at times. We've had not much rain to help it along and so it's been it's exciting to see it looking as good as it does. You know and you bring up those cold temperatures. I'm reminded of February. Mazonet from KSA was reading negative 30 in some areas that you, that you get to see on a regular basis but then we also have a late freeze when it was coming well out of dormancy and starting to establish. Which one do you think had more effect or do they kind of play a role with each Well, it's been interesting because, you know, when we got to those very cold negative temperatures, we had some snow on the ground, so that really gave some protection to those growing points. And it was the moisture that we needed to go with it. We didn't really need negative 26 or negative 30. We really didn't see a lot of effects from those cold temperatures at that point. And then we move on here to when we had those 19, 20 degree temperatures for two nights in a row for our area, and we were having growing points just moving above the soil surface at that point. I was in the field 
field bright and early those two mornings taking temperatures and we had snow on the first morning and so that really gave us some protection and the moist soil and warm soil helped kind of keep everything a little bit warmer the second morning we didn't have the snow because it had melted the during the day before but the moisture in the soil and everything really kind of helped control that microclimate down there below the canopy where that growing point was just coming out of the ground I'm not seeing a lot of a lot of effects from those cold temperatures and so that's a good thing we have some wheat that maybe looks a little more splayed out or things along those lines but I think a lot of that is some other things with mother nature but those cold temperatures probably didn't help a lot in that situation so now that we're, we're getting into this stage, we've had what I will call million-dollar rains because they come at just the opportune time when this crop kind of wants to give up, but then it just keeps it going on. Is it disease pressure that we need to worry about now, or is Mother Nature still in charge more than ever when it comes to those possible drought conditions? Well, we've had very, very timely rains here where we're getting ready for heads to be emerging and starting that flowering and grain fill process. So we've gotten some good moisture. Not everywhere across has got the enough moisture, but everybody's got something up for moisture, it feels like. Right now, we're looking at stripe rust and trying to get a handle on how much uh, rust inoculums moving into northwest Kansas and trying to gauge some of those things. We're also going to keep an eye on water usage on wheat and how dry things are going to be getting because Mother Nature is really still in control on this. So we've got a lot of moisture in some places to help get us through that grain fill period. Other places are a little bit, didn't get catch near as much moisture as others. And so they're still going to be very watchful on catching some rains as we move forward on some of this. That is Jeannie Falk-Jones. She is the Northwest Kansas Extension agronomist walking us through the Northwest Kansas wheat crop on the Winter Wheat Tour. It's the Rural Radio Network. It is time for Midday Sports. Here's Jason. Hey, thanks, Tyler. Well, Lexington plays for the Class B Boys State Soccer Championship tonight as they face off against Perennial Powers. Scott at 8. That's a match we will bring you on our sister station, Kimmy Country. This is Lexington High School's first appearance in an NSAA state title game since the 1997 football final against Pius, so a very big deal for the Minutemen tonight. The Class B girls final at 5 has Norris against Omaha Scud. The NSAA State High School Track and Field Championships are underway. Class D is going at this time. Class A will run later on this afternoon. The boys Class D 3200 meter relay that was won by Osmond. Humphrey St. Francis, they won the girls' race. We will have reports for you this afternoon here on 880 KRVN, 93.1 The River, Cami Country, and at KUVR.com. Girls wrestling received sanctioning by the NSLA Activities Association this week. That means that next year's state meet here in Omaha, there will be a one-class girls division that will be held at the same time as the four classes of boys competition. It's a step up from last year when girls wrestling operated as an emerging sport and lacked an NSAA sanctioned championship. The NSAA board unanimously approved the sanctioning. Good news for Husker Volleyball. Senior Lexi Sun will return for the Huskers for one more season. The All-American outside hitter announced today she will use her final year of eligibility, which the NCAA granted to student-athletes due to COVID-19 interruptions. And Nebraska football doesn't yet have a quarterback in its 2022 recruiting class, but they are in the mix for one potential target. 2022 Alabaster, Alabama quarterback Connor Harrell listed a top 10 this week, and Nebraska made the cut. Harrell's a name to watch. He had a huge season as a junior, 
throwing for more than 3,500 yards and 42 touchdowns with just three interceptions. That's a look at sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. I'm Jason Jorgensen. search for an 11-year-old autistic boy reported missing in eastern Nebraska has entered its third day, and police leading the effort say the child had searched online for how to hide from police before his disappearance. La Vista police say 11-year-old Ryan Larson walked out of his elementary school Monday morning and hasn't been seen since. Police say the child has a history of hiding from his family and has a habit of hiding in small spaces. But officials say he's never been missing for days at a time. Police say a search of the family's computer showed Ryan had conducted online searches using the phrases hiding from the police, hiding underground, and how to avoid being spotted. Jim Jenkins of rural Callaway plans to use his more than 35 years of experience in agriculture and food-related industries to be an effective legislator. Jenkins announced that he would seek Nebraska's District 36 legislative seat in 2022. Jenkins says a big chore for a rural lawmaker is making sure people in urban areas of the state understand the importance of agriculture to the state's economy. At times I have witnessed kind of a wall between urban and rural, and and I understand why that wall maybe exists, but certainly one of the themes of my candidacy will be trying to build that bridge uh, so that we can uh, win some friends who can help us on rural issues, infrastructure issues, education, health care, all of the things that are important to having a good foundation to our economy. Jenkins wants to be a bridge builder because he feels strongly that rural and urban interests need to work together for the benefit of the entire state. He is currently managing his family ranching and cattle feeding business near Callaway and is one of the owners of the Skeeter Barnes restaurant in Kearney. Authorities say a Nevada man was seriously injured when the helicopter he was flying to dust crops in southwest Kansas crashed. The Grant County Sheriff's Office and Kansas Highway Patrol said the crash happened around 2.30 Tuesday afternoon as the helicopter was spraying a wheat field west of Kansas Highway 25. Investigators believe the helicopter hit a power line causing the crash. The pilot, identified as 47-year-old Ripson Wong of Henderson, Nevada, was taken to a hospital in Ulysses with serious injuries. His medical condition has not been released. A central Illinois police chief says an officer has died after being shot by a suspect in a domestic disturbance who also was killed in an exchange of gunfire that left a second officer wounded. Champaign Police Chief Anthony Cobb says Officer Chris Oberheim passed away due to injuries sustained while on duty. He says a 44-year-old officer had joined the department in September 2008. Reporting on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. He's probably one of the industry's biggest advocates for biodiesel, and he calls Nebraska home. Thanks so much for tuning in to the latest edition of Cruising with Renewable Fuels. I'm Alex Wojcicki on the Rural Radio Network. Joining us on the phone now is Greg Anderson. He's a Nebraska soybean board member and also a farmer from Newman Grove, and he just wrapped up planting. And Greg, I know you're excited to celebrate Renewable Fuels Month. Tell me a little bit more. 
Well, it is. May is Renewable Fuels Month here in Nebraska. It's an excellent opportunity to showcase biodiesel and all the benefits that biodiesel brings to consumers, as well as soybean farmers and the Nebraska economy. The soybean checkoff established the biodiesel industry in the United States many years ago, and continued checkoff investment has really propelled the acceptance and usage of biodiesel to new heights, especially these past couple of years with phenomenal growth markets in California and the East Coast. So, Greg, when we're celebrating Renewable Fuels Month across the state of Nebraska, what exactly does that mean for our producers across the state? Well, I think it really brings awareness to the success that biodiesel has brought to the farm gate. You know, nearly 8 billion pounds of soybean oil went into biodiesel production last year in the United States. And demand for soybean oil in biodiesel production has increased 300% over the past 10 years. So that's adding value to each bushel of soybeans that Nebraska farmers grow, so much so that soybean crushing plants across the country are now crushing beans primarily for the oil. And that just hasn't happened before. Uh, Years ago, before the biodiesel industry was established, soybean oil was a leftover byproduct of the soybean crush. It, It sat stockpiled in surplus and was a drag on the marketplace. But today, soybean oil is in high demand and is the most widely used feedstock for biodiesel and renewable diesel. So, Greg, I remember you and I chatting about a year ago about uh, renewable fuels demand and how everything has changed in the past year. But what have you been hearing recently about demand for renewable fuels and specifically for biodiesel? It's really increased uh, mainly because of two big markets on each coast. One is California. They are the biggest user of biodiesel and renewable diesel. They really have aggressive carbon emissions reduction goals. There's an effort to push to get to net zero carbon emission as quickly as possible. Many corporations, companies, and even the states uh, are looking at uh, getting there as quickly as possible by the year 2030, 2040. And here's a drop-in fuel that is clean burning and can help them get that Uh, reach those goals uh, very, very quickly without engine modifications, without changing up their transportation fleets. It's a drop-in fuel that mixes beautifully with petroleum diesel and can really reduce carbon emissions, uh, life cycle emissions by 86% are reduced compared to petroleum-based diesel fuel. So that's what's really driving the the West Coast. On the East Coast, we're looking at uh, blending biodiesel with heating oil and really heating millions of uh, residents residential homes as well as businesses and uh, government buildings and municipality buildings and the like. And that's uh, driving a lot of biodiesel usage in the wintertime. So I think we touched on your perspective as a farmer using biodiesel. We've talked about the national scope of things, but you also serve on the Nebraska Soybean Board. So thinking about Renewable Fuels Month and biodiesel in general, what does that mean from the Soybean Board's perspective here in Nebraska? Well, as any commodity board has a lot of important decisions to make on just where to invest those checkoff dollars, and we take that charge very, very seriously. We see that biodiesel and renewable diesel really brings back some of the greatest uh, return on investment opportunities for the uh, checkoff dollar, the most bang for the buck, the most uh, return that we can get uh, multiplied many times over when we, you know, invest in either a promotion or some technical research or some funding uh, for increased usage of biodiesel. This only helps the uh, soybean farmer because it increases our demand and 
provides a very stable, growing demand for soybean oil, one that will not just be a, a here hit and miss, but one will, that will be with long term and that will you know, continue to provide benefits for years and years to come. So I think that's very important as we make those funding decisions, those critical funding decisions on, on just uh, where to invest those dollars. Uh, biodiesel has really been the flagship success story of the soybean checkoff. Well, Greg, as we round out this conversation, there's one thing we haven't yet touched on specifically with you, and that is the livestock sector of biofuels. And I know that you advocate a lot for that side of things, too. So tell me more about the dynamic role, if you will, of biodiesel. Well, the biodiesel industry also works hand-in-hand with Nebraska's livestock sector. We know, all know important, how important livestock is to the state of Nebraska. I'm a livestock farmer and cattle farm uh, producer myself. And uh, the biodiesel industry uses inedible tallow and grease as a biodiesel feedstock as well. And not only is there increased carcass value with that, but there is decreased soybean meal expenses for feeding hogs and poultry. So a healthy biodiesel market equates to a healthy soybean crushing industry, which in turn means very solid demand for our ag products in the state. Very appropriate that uh, May is Renewable Fuels Month. It just showcases and highlights this important fuel and it shows the importance to our consumers and the end users, as well as to Nebraska's farmers. All right, great information as always, Greg. Thanks so much. That again is Greg Anderson joining us for the latest edition of Cruising with Renewable Fuels. He's a Nebraska Soybean Board member and also a farmer from Newman Grove. I'm Alex Wojcicki from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. And you're listening to the Rural Video Network. With the business report for Wednesday, I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks are broadly lower on Wall Street as the market's downturn enters a third day. The S&P 500 was down 1.2% in early trading. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was down 1.1% and the Nasdaq fell 1.3%. Meanwhile, the price of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies dropped sharply causing a surge of selling that caused an outage in the website of the online brokerages Coinbase, which went public just over a month ago. Bitcoin's price was down 19% to just over $35,000, according to the crypto news site Coindesk. Well below the recent high of over $63,000 it reached in mid-April. Amazon has announced plans for a new warehouse that will bring more than 500 jobs to North Alabama. The announcement comes just weeks after workers at another company facility in the state soundly defeated a push for unionization. The company says the Order Fulfillment Center will be built near a new Mazda Toyota vehicle factory that's being constructed west of Huntsville in Limestone County. Amazon already has warehouses near Mobile, and in suburban Birmingham. California's top energy regulators say the state is better prepared to avoid last summer's rotating blackouts, but they caution the power grid of the nation's most populous state is still vulnerable to extreme heat waves that could force more outages later this year. State officials say they have acquired an additional 3,500 megawatts of capacity this year. One megawatt is enough to power hundreds of homes. 
It's a grand day for the French. Café and restaurant terraces are reopening today after a pandemic shutdown of more than six months deprived people of what feels like the essence of life in France. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. An income increase in agriculture for Kansas. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. And then this is based on records from over 2,200 farms and ranches in Kansas. The Kansas Farm Management Association at Kansas State University just released its 2020 Kansas Net Farm Income Report. This annual summary is considered a leading indicator of the state of the Kansas ag economy. K-State's Kevin Herbell is the executive director of the association, and he talks in general about the economic fortune of agricultural operations in the state of Kansas this past year. If we think of the year as a whole, very much a roller coaster ride. And uh, certainly even looking at earlier in the year when the COVID pandemic began, uh, the market disruptions taking place, there was a point in time during 2020 where we uh, wondered what these numbers might look like at the end of the year to the low end. And things turned out quite different. The turnaround came on the strength of two things, said Herbell, vastly improved grain prices and the influx of government payments in the wake of the pandemic. Many decisions made within the, the pandemic and the market disruptions to have some of those government payment, the dollar flow related to uh, the COVID items to go to farms in the state and, and the country. And those factors certainly affected and and helped to uh, pull many operations through some parts of the year. But when it's all said and done, the the price changes, the yields that happened in in, uh, many places around the state, all of those working together to uh, make an overall fairly positive picture when we look at the final numbers, uh, certainly depending what type of producer you are, uh, what is your, your farm type, what it is that you raise. Uh, livestock production maybe not feeling the same as what some of our crop producers do in the midst of these circumstances. The average net farm income for the state of Kansas then was a strong number. But again, Herbell acknowledges the significance of that government support. That number comes in uh, this year just under 168000 at 167894 The government payments, and and certainly in this year, even where we had some of the COVID-related payments, a big player in where that was at. And in in total, that close to 168,000 number is made up of uh, just over 67% in total government payments. And if we kind of pull out from those total government payments, just the uh, ones that you might say are are COVID-related, that amounted to about 45% of that net farm income. And if we if we pulled those COVID-related payments out of that 168,000 net farm income, the uh, the net farm income would have been at the state level about 92,000. And with some good economic times, some might wonder about what the farm investment opportunities were. And with that sound economy, Herbell says that many producers took advantage of those good returns by investing in new assets. Our uh, machinery investment per crop acre uh, had been actually declining uh, for a number of years. Uh, 2018, 2019 were pretty level, just under $250 per crop acre. In 2020, that number went up to about $265 per crop acre. So I think the, the number itself that we have there would indicate that during 2020, there was some additional investment made into uh, machinery and equipment on the farm. I think decisions relative to that are very 
distinct to each farm operation and the position they're in. Those comments coming from Kansas Farm Management Association's Kevin Herbel. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Good afternoon. As we take a look at the closing grain futures, John Payne joins us. He's senior marketing analyst for Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. And I tell you, John, what an interesting another day with China back in the market again. Yeah, three days in a row now. I think that tomorrow's export numbers and next week's export numbers are going to be not record large, but near record large, at least relative to the last five years. Um, so you have that kind of backdrop. I think the the wheat tour out your way looks um, you know looks promising for the crop. Now we're just trying to figure out what it's valued, and I think that that's really the biggest wild card right now is that that July KC wheat contract. If that sells off further, you know corn gets dragged into the 630s. Uh, but I don't know. I, I I think we're all waiting to see what Egypt does, and if they buy at a good price, I, I think we see a rebound in that market. And then, in my opinion, the corn market really hasn't gone anywhere cash wise. You talked about that yesterday, waiting to see some sort of purchases coming from Egypt. And when those numbers came out this morning, I scanned through the list and didn't see their name again. No, and they haven't done anything. I mean, that's the, that works. I'm trying to gauge, you know, what, what global buyers want to do here. And obviously, um, a couple of news pieces broke on the weed side was that, you know, these, a lot of Middle Eastern countries, like they're feeding their own people. So they set a price for weed and then, Every year it'll go up or down, and I think they raised it 12%. Um, I want to say it was Saudi Arabia, but I, I could be wrong on the country, but I know it was a country over there that did. So, you know, Egypt's going to have to do the same, and, you know, people don't want to pay more for food. You, you hear it already. Um, but, you know, we're in a lot better shape-wise financially than a lot of other countries, and when they, when they get their inflationary shocks, when they reopen, um, that's where I think that there's another leg coming here. But right now you have good rains in the Corn Belt, um, not really a whole lot of, you know, demand issues that are going to pop up as far as USDA changes, at least in the short run. So we're at this point now where we watch the crop, and I think, you know, I think buying the July and selling the December isn't a bad trade here for the next couple of months, especially uh, for the next six weeks before the, uh, the June crop report. And quickly before we wrap up, soybeans, I mean, we saw some purchase come from Banksico, but still not enough to, to boost that market. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, but, you know, we're trading $16, $15. Like a dollar move isn't that much. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a big move on paper, but, you know, we're just, we're the big area here. So I think folks just be patient. You know, beans, uh, you know, probably a good acreage number here in June. And, and uh, then it's about weather. I hate to say that I'm going to say that a lot in the next three months. All right. Sounds good. Thanks so much, John, for joining us today. That's John Payne with Daniels Ag Marketing. You can learn more about them at danielsagmarketing.com. Just a reminder, futures and options involve substantial risk of loss. Not suitable for all investors. Listening to the Rural Radio Network. All right, thank you very much, Susan. That will wrap up midday here on this Wednesday. You can catch the Midday Podcast sponsored by Deveni Motors wherever podcasts are available, or krvn.com. Well, I mentioned earlier today to be listening for your chance to uh, win tickets today for the Heartland Summer Jam this upcoming Saturday night at Buffalo Chips in Gibbon. Live music from 6.30 to midnight. We're giving you two tickets. You can see 
Trent Tomlinson, Tim Zock, and Whiskey Bent, and the Dylan Bloom Band. Again, it's all this Saturday night in Gibbon. If you're my third caller right now at 844-880-0880, you will win a pair of tickets, again, to the Heartland Summer Jam on us to pick it. Two tickets. And uh, again, just be my third caller right now at 844-880-0880. And you'll get a win a pair of tickets to the Heartland Summer Jam, where you'll see Trent Tomlinson, Tim Zock, and Whiskey Bent, and Dylan Bloom. This upcoming Saturday night at Buffalo Chips in Gibbon. Looking for caller number three right now.